Happy Tuesday morning to you and welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, happy to be with you again this morning as always, spending the 7 o'clock hour together. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer and offer the day to him. We pray as we always do in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, it is good to be back with you this week, and I, uh, I'm happy to be with you here every morning. I've been looking forward to being back. As much as I enjoyed vacation, I do miss our time together. And, you know, I got an email, an unexpected email from someone yesterday. It was a scheduling thing, and someone handed it off to someone else in their office and said, can you work out a date that works for all of us so you have access to all of our calendars? And that person said, oh, I listened to your show. And I said, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. And that person's also very good at scheduling things because coming back from vacation, I couldn't get a date right on the calendar <laughs> no matter how hard I tried. I always mess something up. But luckily, the, the other person in this email equation was very good at getting a date on the calendar. So it's good to be back from vacation. It's good to be with you. It's always good to hear from listeners like you. This morning on the show, we've got a lot going on. We're going to hear from Father Chris Martin, who is not just the vicar for strategic planning and a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, but he's also involved with the Focus Seek Conference that's coming to St. Louis in early 2023. And then we're also going to be talking again with Father Timothy Vaverek about uh, salvation and our role in salvation and Christ's role in salvation, what salvation is. Specifically today, we're going to use the image of marriage as we talk about salvation. All that and more. You know, we've got the catechism, we've got the songs, we've got everything we have for you in the morning. Um, and I'm happy to say that today we have Mike Roberts. So let's go to him now for our Saint of the Day. Today is the memorial of St. John Chrysostom, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. Born in Syria in the mid-fourth century, his parents were Greek and he grew up in a pagan household. As a young man, he developed an outstanding ability as a speaker and then found a passion for a life in Christ. He studied at the school of Antioch before making his way into the desert as a hermit. But after several years in the desert, he returned to Antioch in poor health, which he never fully regained. He was ordained a priest, but in the process found himself involved in a battle between powerful bishops. Overcoming this, John became a great leader of the faithful in Antioch, known for his powerful sermons, which often denounced the abuse of power by those both inside and outside the church. He was called Chrysostom because of his golden tongue. Appointed Archbishop of Constantinople, John continued his unique brand of preaching and in the process made a lot of powerful people very angry. He was banished and then brought back when there was a revolt by Christian followers, then banished again as he refused to curtail his outspoken denouncement of abuse by the rich and powerful, sending letters to the faithful in Constantinople 
when he could no longer talk to them directly. In spite of attempts by Pope Innocent I to have him reinstated, John never was. He died in exile in 407. St. John Chrysostom, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We do have a catechist question for you today, and our catechist question relates to the topic of death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It's uh, an eschatological question. I love that word, eschatology. Uh, Here's the question for you today. When you die, when you die, are you reunited with your body before, and, and this is assuming you go to heaven, are you reunited with your body before or after the general judgment? The souls in heaven, are, are they reunited with their body before or after the general judgment? That's your catechist question today. Take a moment, think about it. There are four last things. We die, we're judged, we go to heaven, or we go to hell. Sometimes on the way to heaven, if we need to be purified, we go through purgatory to be purified of sin. Uh, after it's been judged that we are going to go to heaven, but we still need that time of purgation, that time of purification, but you don't get stuck in purgatory. Purgatory is not forever. You, you die, have your private judgment, and you either go to heaven or you go to hell. But when are the souls in heaven reunited with their bodies? If you said after the general judgment, you are correct. In fact, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1023, we read, Those who die in God's grace and friendship and are perfectly purified live forever with Christ. They are like God forever, for they see him as he is face to face. By virtue of our apostolic authority, we define the following. According to the general disposition of God, the souls of all the saints and other faithful who died after receiving Christ's holy baptism, provided they were not in need of purification when they died, or if they then did need or will need some purification when they have been purified after death, already before they take up their bodies again and before the general judgment and since the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into heaven have been are and will be in heaven in the heavenly kingdom and celestial paradise with Christ joined to the company of the holy angels. Since the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, these souls have seen and do see the divine essence with an intuitive vision and even face to face without the mediation of any creatures. That's in paragraph 1023. The uh, long quote there beginning with we define is from Pope Benedict Twelfth in his I believe encyclical Benedictus Deus, and then restated again in Lumen Gentium, paragraph 49 as well. Um, here's the thing that I always have to remember, too, that last line of that, even face-to-face without the mediation of any creature, that as much as you and I think we know what it would be like to see God face-to-face right now, we don't. We don't. We can't see it. St. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. Now we see as if through a veil. We see unclearly. But then we shall see face to face. And, you know, the reality is that we don't have the capacity to see it. In fact, the catechism goes on to say that uh, God could give us the capacity, and he does, if we're in heaven, to see him face to face. Um, 
We call that the beatific vision. It's one of the things we're striving for here on Roadmap to Heaven each and every day is that we would die in that state of grace and enjoy the beatific vision. We are going to take a break here. When we come back, we'll be talking with Father Chris Martin. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Don't go anywhere. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. We're happy to be on the road today with Father Chris Martin, the Vicar for Strategic Planning in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, to talk about the upcoming SEEK conference that Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, will be hosting here in St. Louis as we begin the year 2023, which is not that far away. Father Martin, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. or happy to have you here. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're always happy to go That's on the right. road, get out of the office a little bit. So, you know, Father, this is really kind of a, an odd thing. Focus was supposed to be coming to our beloved St. Louis, the Rome of the West, two years ago. And then, of course, we had a global health pandemic and conferences and things like that were put on hold. And now the time has come that Focus is coming to St. Louis. And this is... I mean, dare I say, this is a big deal for evangelization in this region. Yeah, imagine an apostolic times if, you know, you just said, oh, well, we're going to have St. Paul and St. John and, you know, Peter are going to be coming through or said Chrysostom and Augustine. Like, you know, well, it's really an opportunity that as the Archdiocese of St. Louis is trying to refocus and center itself on our call to evangelize. We have all the top of Catholic evangelists from around the United States descending on our city in January. And so I think that it's an amazing act of providence that the Sikh conference is arriving at this turning point in the archdiocese history. That's a very important word, evangelization, because even for our listeners who are not within the Archdiocese of St. Louis, evangelization is the task of all of us, uh, sometimes referred to as the Great Commission. And it's very easy for us sometimes as Catholics, and I fall into this trap myself sometimes, to say, well, that's Father's job. You know, Father or, or the deacon or the, the folks that are in leadership at the parish, that's their job to evangelize. My job is just to get my family to Mass on Sunday, and that's not really the case, is it? No, in fact, I always say that the fulfillment of the Second Vatican Council is really going to be the rediscovery of the role of the lady in the Church not to the competition or the detriment of the ordained or consecrated life, but really, again, just to kind of recognize the great dignity of the lay vocation, the charisms that the Holy Spirit bestows upon all the baptized faithful. So tongue-in-cheek, you know, they always say that it takes a uh, 100 years for a council to take full effect. So we're still, gosh, about 35, 40 years away from the end of the Second Vatican Council. If it was a Star Wars movie, it would be called The Rise of the Laity or The Laity Strike Back because I think what we're seeing really is this refocusing on, like you said, the Great Commission that goes out to every disciple, every baptized believer of the body of Christ to go and to make disciples of all nations. And it doesn't look the same for all of us, but we all have that same call and that same mission. 
Sometimes we think about those unique opportunities. And I remember a few weeks ago, we had Brian Miller on the show talking about the model Focus uses. And a big part of that is forming relationships between the missionaries and the students so that the students show up for the Bible study or whatever may be going on. And I'm thinking about all of the parents that I know from all of the activities my kids are involved in. And Beth and I were actually recently having this conversation. You know, there, there's young adult ministry, there's youth ministry, there's senior ministry. There's sometimes a little gap for the parents of school children. You know, where's our group? Well, we don't have one because we have soccer practice and we have volleyball practice and we have this after school activity and that. But really, the sidelines, perhaps, of the soccer game or the volleyball game or the, the basketball game in the bleachers, that could be the mission field for evangelization through relationships we already have with some of these parents. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. I think when we talk about the evangelization mission of the church and rediscovering that, it's not that we're not evangelizing right now. I think what it is is that we're so busy doing so many things, we forgot that evangelization is supposed to be the center of it. And so it really is about reinvigorating or fanning back into flame why do we exist in the first place? Why do we run schools? Why do we run PSR programs? Why do we have CYC sports? It's to get people to heaven. That is the mission of the church. And if we do all of these things without actually having an authentic encounter or trying to draw people into their own personal encounter with the person of Jesus, with the sacramental life of the church, then we've kind of lost our focus. And so one of the statistics that I've been sharing with people that kind of startled me a little bit and that I just shared with you right before this was we have more children involved in our CYC sports than we have in all of our grade schools and PSR programs combined. And so if you want to talk about a mission field, they're already coming to us, uh, you know, one day for practice and one day for a game. And so if you think about 33,000 children plus maybe one parent, because we know that mom and dad have to split up the shuttle bus routine, right, to kind of go. But still, you're talking about at least twice a week, you'd imagine we have over 60,000 people coming to our property. And the majority of those, I would dare say, are not coming on Sunday mornings into our pews. But we don't have to go find them because they're already coming to us. But we haven't leveraged that as a moment of encounter for evangelization. So one of my daydreams about all things new and the evangelization push for the archdiocese is what does it look like, as you just said, to see the sidelines as a mission field, to actually go and to enter into authentic relationship with people and eventually find those moments of opportunity when you can proclaim the charisma to them. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. He died for you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And then where do we kind of have other landing pads for those people to kind of come? Because maybe they're not ready for Sunday Mass. And that could be they're not ready personally. That could be there's an element of their life or there's something. But Mass really, it's you've heard this phrase before, it's not for beginners. Mass is the deep end of communion, the deep end uh, of the life of grace. And if you just invite people to show up to Mass, they might be moved a little bit by the beauty, by the mystery, we would hope. But lots of people, they don't even understand the Catholic aerobics. They don't know what's kind of going on uh, the whole time. 
And so as we have these new moments of encounter, I think we also need to kind of rediscover where is this person on his or her faith journey and what other opportunities do we have for them to be in relationship with the body of Christ that eventually leads them into full communion. So plenty of opportunities uh, that are out there because we have so many good things that are going on, but I think that everybody that's a volunteer in the church, everybody's sitting in the pew on Sunday, on the sidelines, on, on the weekends, we need to see ourselves first and foremost as disciples and evangelists, and then we do sports, and then we do fish fries, and then we do PTO meetings or whatever it might be, but to kind of rediscover that, that central mission that we have. So unless I miss something in the Gospels, our Lord did not call the fishermen and then send them off for six to eight to ten years of seminary formation and then call them back and say, now go out two by two and preach and teach in my name. He just called fishermen and tax collectors, etc., and said, all right, we're going to do this. But there is that model we've talked about that first he calls them into relationship with him. And then he sends them out. So for our listeners who might be fishermen or tax collectors or whatever their profession may be, they're called to do this too. And I am assuming that we then have to follow that same model, that before we can effectively go out and evangelize, we have to be honing our relationship with our Lord each and every day. So the the classic statement from the church, you cannot give what you do not have. And I think most people in their lives, personally and professionally, can probably call to mind a mentor that they've had, somebody that really just, out of goodness, said, I want to help you to kind of grow into the man or the woman that you're supposed to be in this circumstance. So we've all benefited from that. That's not unique to the business world or to our personal lives, but that's actually the art of accompaniment which is, again, central to evangelization, to be able to spend time with people, to play the long game, to realize that evangelization isn't, here's a pamphlet that I want you to kind of read and get your life in order, (laughs) but it really is, I want you to come to know the love of God in your life and for that love to take effect, and that takes time, and I'm I'm willing to invest in you and journey with you. And so I think that all of us could probably take a moment and think about, the people that God has placed in our lives who have accompanied us in some way on life's journey. And then we have to also take another moment and ask the question, who do we think God is asking us to accompany or who's God inviting us to to journey with in their own lives? I sometimes wonder, because I don't think it's as simple as just being on the sidelines of my kid's soccer game with a sign that says John 3.16. Although uh, if, if there was a parent on the team that was going to do that, let's be honest, <laughs> it is me. But it's in that recognition of where is Christ working in my life that no matter how old you are, if you or a loved one receives just a frightening medical diagnosis, maybe it's that cancer diagnosis or there's a heart attack or a stroke with a loved one or you lose a job and and there's a question of financially, how are we going to make it? Pick all of those difficult moments of life. It could be as simple as, you know, lately my kid who's a teenager now is just not listening to me and I have no clue what I'm doing to be able to say, you know what, I haven't been exactly in your shoes, but I've maybe been in a similar position and here's how my faith helped me get through this. And here's how 
our Lord worked in that. And here's where I found some good and some fruit in that. Is, is sometimes evangelization as simple as sharing our stories with others? Sharing our stories with others is pivotal in evangelization. It's here's who I was, here's where I encountered the Lord, and here's who I am now. You know, I, I preached a lot at my uh, previous assignment, and I said I think one of the, the greatest heresies that we hear in common conversation is, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. I think that's a flat-out lie. In fact, I think it's a heresy. I think God always gives us more than we can handle. And he does that intentionally to remind us that we need his grace in our lives. Now, for those theologians that are probably listening, I know I don't believe that God, you know, is out to get us or he's punishing us or he's doing this, but we have hearts that were created for eternity and only God can get us there. And Jesus tells us that apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think, yeah, as we all go through our struggles, small and large, there's always this opportunity to recognize the need for God's grace in my life. And when I encounter others who are going through a particular struggle that I'm called to give witness to how I've experienced God's grace be activated in those moments, small and large, and yeah, the, the goodness and the good fruits that came from it. Before we wrap up here, I'd like to go back to the Focus Seat Conference, because that is what brought us together <laughs> yeah. today. So, you know, it might be easy to think of the Focus Conference as primarily for college students and young adults, which is true, but there is some opportunity for all of our listeners to be involved or to attend in some way, shape, or form. That's right. Even a few years ago, I know that at my parish, we were able to do some virtual events and we were able to kind of live stream some of the talks and to be able to have small group discussions on a parish level following that. And so that's something that I think we could try to encourage our listeners and their, their pastors maybe to take advantage of. I believe also that, at least as it stands today, that there's going to be uh, Eucharistic adoration that's going to be going on down at the Dome and they're expecting tens of thousands, again, of, a, of attendees. But I think they're going to invite people from the archdiocese to also be able to register and to go and to participate in, you know, adoration of the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for evangelization, not only on the young people there, but on the archdiocese. And, yeah, it's just, I don't think that we will even see the full fruits of the Sikh conference immediately, uh, but I think that what we're going to see is if we talk about fanning the gifts of the Spirit into flame, this is going to be a pretty big, good gust of wind that's going to be coming through St. Louis. Indeed it is. So for all of the college students listening or parents of college students listening or people who know college students and value them listening, <laughs> you can send them to get more information on the Focus Conference. I believe it's seek.focus.org, but certainly if you go to focus.org, uh, you'll find a link to it and everything you'd want to know there. And I think Father has shared it plainly with us today that we're all called to evangelize and Part of that is having a relationship with Christ, and that's the first part of it, and then taking that out to the world. Father Chris Martin, I want to thank you for your time. Could I ask you to offer a prayer or a blessing for our listeners? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise for the many gifts you bestow upon us, particularly those gifts we take for granted, the gift of life, the gift of faith, the gift of your Son, the gift of relationship with you, and the goodness of the relationship that we have with others. And we ask you to just pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and continue to help us to be 
your disciples first and evangelists to the world. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned for more. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Yesterday, we started our week-long discussion with Father Timothy Vaverek, author of As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. And Father, you used that image of marriage. And uh, we were talking about perfect contrition, imperfect contrition, and being saved from versus saved for, and that it's a both and. We're saved from hell, but we're saved for something greater. And you use this analogy of marriage that if we just thought of marriage as, well, I didn't commit adultery. That's the measure of my successful marriage. I didn't commit adultery. We're missing out on a lot. And marriage is a very central image in the New Covenant. I mean, it's the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. So why is marriage so central to this? And how do we relate to that image when we're contemplating our salvation? Marriage is central not just to the New Covenant, but to all the covenants, because it is the eternal covenant. It is God's eternal plan, which, as St. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he cites the Genesis passage. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But he tells us that this is a great mystery, that it refers to Christ in the church. So the reality is that the whole of creation has been centered on Christ in the church. God's whole plan in creation was to call us into being so that we might be united to him and share his life, becoming one with him. We don't become God. We remain distinct, but fully united, just as husband and wife remain two distinct people, but they become one. And so the whole of creation from the very beginning, all the way through the Old Testament, and all the way to the end of time, is all about God drawing us to share his life here on earth, which we do imperfectly and sometimes, unfortunately, marked by sinfulness, but in uh, the life to come perfectly, fully, together with him and with one another. Now, this is a beautiful analogy, and it might be tempting to think, well, it only applies to married persons, to men and women who have entered into that sacramental bond. But, I mean, really, when we think of the bigger picture, this is everyone in the life of the Church. This is you as a priest. This is our religious brothers and sisters. This is single people. Everyone is called into the marriage covenant with our Lord. Are they not? They are. We do so as members of the body and bride of Christ. You're not the Church. I'm not the Church. In that sense, we're not the body of Christ individually, we're not the spouse of Christ individually, but we are members of that spouse. So the spouse is all redeemed humanity. Everyone whom Jesus calls to himself and who does not refuse that call is drawn into sharing that life. Adam and Eve shared life and labor. They were given a task by God. Christ and his humanity and the church are given a task by God. And we carry that out in and with Jesus so that he is alive in us and we are alive in him. And our work is his work. His work is our work. 
provided we're not entering into sin, because he has no part of sin, of course. Well, that's actually something we're going to talk about tomorrow, because as we think of this image of marriage, anyone who knows me and knows my wife knows that we're pretty open in sharing that we don't always get it right, Father. Sometimes I might do some knuckleheaded things that upset the marriage and I have her shaking her head and just putting her palm to her face. So we're going to talk about what to do when maybe we're not on the right track tomorrow. Until then, friends, we want to thank Father Timothy Vaverek for being with us today. Father, we look forward to our time together tomorrow. Thank you. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. Well, I hope we're not starting this Tuesday's Daily Dose of Encouragement off with a quiz on the seven sorrows of the Blessed Virgin Mary, because I've got four of them, Patty, but I I couldn't get all seven memorized. But I'm going to get it by the end of this week. So what do you have in store for our encouragement today? Well, we've been talking about Our Lady of Sorrows. This whole week, we're going to unpack this beautiful, beautiful title of Our Blessed Mother. And today, actually, I want to talk about a place, a place that I had the privilege to visit. It's far away, but you know, I'm going to throw it out there because you never know where people are traveling and where they may want to put this just on the back burner. But someday, if you ever get to Portland, Oregon, if you ever get to Portland, Oregon, Google this. It's just called The Grotto. The official title is The National Sanctuary of Our Sorrowful Mother. The National Sanctuary of Our Sorrowful Mother in Portland, Oregon. Or you can just Google the grotto in Portland, Oregon. Either one works. It is the face of a cliff, this huge cliff, this outdoor, beautiful, beautiful shrine. It's over 50 feet tall, this cave with this opening with a pieta inside. And then there are gardens. There are 34 wood carvings of the way of our sorrowful mother. There are outdoor stations of the cross. It is absolutely beautiful. Put that on your bucket list. If you are traveling out west, if you are anywhere near Portland, if you have family or friends that you are visiting, go to the National Sanctuary of Our Sorrowful Mother in Portland, Oregon. I know, again, many of you are saying, well, that doesn't help me today. But even just Google it and see what it is for yourself so that you know of these beautiful shrines and then maybe you can incorporate them into your travel plans. I love to visit shrines whenever I'm traveling and I want to tell people about some of the great ones that are out there, and this one is truly beautiful. I think that's all the endorsement I need to go check that out. So, Patty, I want to thank you for today's encouragement. I've been uh, thinking about our catechist question today, and I just want to clarify something because I'm not happy with how the question was worded. And, um, you know, it, it made it sound as if the resurrection of the body happens after the general judgment when rereading some of those paragraphs and then turning to uh, my good friend, Frank Sheed. I've never actually met Frank Sheed, but I love his book so much. I count him as a good friend here helping me out, knowing the faith. Um, we're told that 
the Lord will return in power and majesty to judge all men. And I'm just going to read you Frank Sheed word for word here. What is told to us clearly is that Christ will return in power and majesty to judge all men, the living and the dead. The bodies of the dead will have risen and all men will once more be that union of spirit and matter which constitutes them fully as men. Then each man will see not only his own individual destiny, but the shape and bearing of humanity's history as a whole. Um, you know, it, it's the point I think we were trying to make with the question was that you're not resurrected with your body immediately after passing. You know, if, if you died in a state of grace and did not need to go through purgatory, um, it, it's not as if you'd immediately be enjoying the resurrection of your body. It's relative to the general judgment. What exactly that will look like? You know, as much as we know, there's also so much that we don't know. But here's one thing we do know. For the souls in purgatory, and and this is probably a good place to end the show today, for the souls in purgatory who are speeding towards purification, they're speeding towards heaven, they are assisted in speeding towards heaven by our prayers, you and I, here on earth. We have a duty to pray for the souls in purgatory. Again, every soul in purgatory is going to go to heaven. There's just that time of purification needed. Um, you know, Frank Sheed worded it beautifully in saying that it's the the leaving behind of our selfish desires. Anything that is not of God's will is being removed from us in that time of purification. Now, in speaking about hell, I mean, the way that he puts it is, is quite beautiful in that he says, um, the lost soul has chosen chosen self-sufficiency and it is not sufficient it has made itself god and a pitifully desperately needed needy god it proves you know when we choose to die outside of that state of grace we decide god i don't need you my plan is better than your plan and you know it's no big deal to commit this mortal sin because my plan's better than your plan and we make ourselves god and frank she just said we can't do it without god and yet we so selfishly choose to say nope my plan god not yours So let's pray that we would choose God's will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, honestly, that's what's before us today. Two choices, our will or God's will. Let's make our will God's will. Instead of choosing what we would want, let's choose to do what God would want us to do and ask for the grace necessary to be able to do that. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.